there's a little warning with that video, that song will be stuck in your head all day. I've seen it before, and now it just I'm reliving it again. Um, we're starting a, a series this morning uh, called My Life, and it's going to be uh, six weeks, and it's going to look at the book of Ephesians and what the Bible basically says through Ephesians as what we're supposed to give our lives to. Um, for me, New Year's is a time where I begin to to be reflective. I look back on the past year. I look ahead to the year that's coming. And I kind of decide what what am I going to do? Um, what am I going to be about? What are things that I need to continue doing? What are things that I need to change? And your life may be somewhat like that, that gentleman, where you have all these different categories, uh, the pressures, the successes. Um, but instead of being able to wipe those away, Usually they are all on the screen at the same time. And as we face life, all those things are pulling at us in different directions. And that can be stressful, uh, overwhelming. And sometimes we, we just want to check out. This series is really going to look at that, that your life does matter. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the real story of my life and what it means to be made for a purpose. Uh, you spend any time in, in America and sometimes with our media, you find that unless you're like the rich and famous, unless you have like a true Hollywood story about you, you may not mean much. Unless you're on TV, unless you're really super successful, um, your, your life may not really matter. Well, when you dig into the scripture, you find that what you do really does count. And you are made for a purpose. You are designed to live life. In the way God has intended. So we're going to dig into that and the real story of what that life is supposed to look like this morning. If you have your listening guide, I encourage you to follow along. Please feel free to do that. Uh, we're going to walk through the, the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, the first thing you dig in uh, in Ephesians 4, the, the first part of the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul, he was a first century church starter. And he was really the man that helped catapult Christianity into uh, basically the world. He started churches throughout uh, the first century area, the Mediterranean, and uh, basically helped new Christians figure out what it meant to be followers of, of Jesus Christ. And so in the first part of Ephesians, he's, he's going over kind of theology, who God is, and then in chapters 4 and 5, you find real practical implications of what we're supposed to give our lives to as Christians. Uh, the first point that he talks about in Ephesians 4, chapter 1, is that we were made for something great. Ephesians 4, 1 says, as a prisoner for the Lord, uh, he's in jail at this time. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You think prison would be the, the lowest of the low in your life? Um, pretty much everything is up against the wall when you're in prison. But instead of wallowing that, Paul encourages the early followers of Christ to, to not be afraid of persecution, to not be afraid of the stresses of their life, but really to live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. And part of that calling was being made for something great. Uh, one writer put this verse a little bit differently. And he put it, I ask you then, live worthy of the responsibility which God has urgently invited you to accept. When you follow Christ, you really accept an invitation from God himself. And with that invitation, we, we come alongside with 
the story that God is writing in the world. And this morning, we, we have to, to answer the question whether we are going to be a part of that story, whether we're going to be a part of what God is, what God is doing. Philippians 1.27 kind of echoes the same idea of being made for something bigger. And it says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Instead of just saying, you know, just kind of do what you want to do, be a, be a, a bump on a log. Instead, the scriptures show that, that we actually need to live in a way that counts. If you decide to bow the knee to Jesus Christ, you're deciding that you're going to live in a way that actually matters. That you're going to pursue things that matter, not just float as life, as life goes by. Part of what it means to, to live for something great as a Christian is that we have a name to uphold and to honor. Christians bear the, the family name of God. We are, we are part of his family we, when we enter into a relationship with him. And part of being in the family is we have a name to uphold and to, and to honor. First uh, Peter 2.9 says, You have been chosen by God himself. You are the priests of the king. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So by the way that we live our lives, we are showing to the people around us, that God really is worthy of the honor we give him. That he is really worthy of, of being worshipped. By the very way that we live our life, we are we're basically painting a, a testimony of who, who God is in our lives. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, that's very contrary to what we do doesn't matter. Or... We don't really have purpose. This scripture saying from the very small to eating and drinking, we're supposed to do whatever we do for the glory of God. Basically, uphold his name that we bear as followers of Christ. What we do really counts. What we do really, really does matter. Part of part of this is is we live a saga before an eternal audience. A saga is really a a magnificent adventure. And if you've, uh, if you're into books, um, there's lots of different types of books. There's fiction, nonfiction, comedies, and uh, romances, and all, all different things. And really, there's a book that we're writing about our lives. For some of you, it may be a short story if you're young. That was a joke. Thank you. First service, they had it. You guys, get the coffee, and then come back. Um, so, I shouldn't have done that. That was bad. Sorry. Um, so, so short stories, sometimes um, they're, they're tragedies, depending on what, what we've experienced. Uh, a lot of times in our own life, they're just a bunch of mix of different things. But you see, it, it's more than just uh, a, a book. We, we are actually, our lives are, are a saga that we play out before an eternal audience. It's something that great that God is doing. Part of this eternal audience, uh, there's, there's three aspects to this. The first is, is God himself. God is... Part of that eternal audience. Uh, Proverbs 5.21. For man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. This the scripture is basically saying that there's not a time when, when God checks out. There's not a time when he's turning away and is not seeing what you're doing. See, that, that's very encouraging, and also it's challenging at the same time. It's encouraging because you know we don't have to inform God of what's going on. But it's challenging because it means that we can't pull one over on him. 
There's never a time when we can just do what we want because we think God's not watching. Part of this saga, this great adventure is, is we are playing our lives in front of Almighty God. And so that, that really does matter. The, the second aspect of the eternal audience is, is the holy angels and the demonic. Those are, are real. And the way we live our life is determining um, how they view God. Ephesians 3.10 says his, his intent was that now through the church, that's the people who are committed to Christ, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So not only is God watching what we do, but angels and demons are, are learning about God and by the way we handle our responsibilities, the way we live our life. The scripture is saying that, that we're just not playing to the to here and now. Uh, sometimes we, we want to isolate ourselves and think that what we do is, is only really affecting us. But there's a whole other realm that, that's viewing what we do. And the reality in scripture is, is this saga is, it's not just this temporal place on earth, but there's an eternal audience that's watching. It, it's so much bigger than, than we think. And the, the third aspect of that eternal audience is, is people. Everyone is going to stand before God on the day of judgment. And there's a, there's a passage in 1 Peter 2.12 that talks about um, basically how we act affects them. And it says, be careful how you behave among your unsaved neighbors. For then, even if they are suspicious of you and talk against you, they will end up praising God for your good works when Christ returns. This is talking about a time in the future when Christ returns, where everyone will be before judgment and have, and have to give an account for their life. This passage is saying that people will actually praise God because of how they saw you live. The people that we come in contact with every day. I don't know about you, but that, that just opens up my eyes to what is really going on in the world. It's not just about me and isolating myself. But realizing there's something so much bigger and I have to really choose to be a part of that and to live it in a way that honors God and brings praise to the family name that, that he has given me. So our, our great purpose uh, is lived sometimes in, in twofold. Uh, first, sometimes it's, it's made in big choices. This saga, the story that, that God's invited us to participate in is sometimes made in big choices. And that, and that big choice could be death. There, there are Christians around the world who die for their faith. The, the line is drawn in the sand, and they decide to stand with God. And they're killed because of that. That happens around the world. Now, a lot of times in my, own, in my own faith, I think, you know, if I had to die for my faith, I would. You see, our great purpose is sometimes lived out by that big choice of death. But mo- most often... Our purpose in life is, is lived out by how we treat others and what we invest in. I don't know about you, but in a way, when you say, you know, I will die for my faith, you're talking about an unknown time that may or may not happen. But if our great purpose is lived out by how we treat each other, I, I know I'm going to have to treat someone a certain way today. And I know I'm going to have to make an investment today. So while the saga is great and God has has written this story for us to participate in. What we find is, in Scripture, it really is lived out in the small things, in the environment in which you are in right now. And that's really encouraging. Basically, it means 
Follow God here and now. Do the right thing here and now. So what does it mean to to do your part? If it's in these small things, what does it mean? Well, Paul actually uh, goes on in verse 2 to to talk about what it means to, to be worthy of the calling that God has given us. And first thing is that we need to treat others with kindness. Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We're going to look at each one of those, those words. Uh, the word completely is, is what gives us trouble. I don't know about you, but I, I can be kind to people when it's convenient. You know, if you're having a really good day, you know, I just want to treat people better. It's those days where, you know, you planned out what you wanted to do and it's all imploded. It goes haywire. And what tends to happen is we have short fuse with people. We get agitated. We snap because what we thought was going to happen in our head didn't. And we run these scenarios. Don't you know what's going on in my head? Didn't you see how I wanted this to go? And the answer is no. That's what makes life difficult. Because we, we want certain things a certain way. But what you find is, is that life is not about just getting your own way or, or what you want. It really is about handling those relationships and those investments in a way that, that brings honor to God. So at issue here is, is not our feelings. It's not how we feel, but, but God's honor. Again, that goes back to the story. God has given us his family name as we commit to him. As we are Christians, we've been given the family name of God. We belong to him and we honor him by the way that we live. Not only in certain circumstances or when we feel a certain way. But because of God's honor, we we we're proactive in the way that we treat people. Um, So out of the respect for the privilege to be a part of this great saga that God has created, um, we need to choose humility. Being humble is, is a deep sense of one's littleness. So the scripture says, be completely little. And that, that really isn't the, the opposite. Humility is the opposite of arrogance, which is, I deserve. When you think you deserve something, you're actually being arrogant. Now, a lot of times, the way I justify my arrogance is I think, well, they deserve almost as much as I do. You know, I kind of set my value up here. As long as they're under me, they can get whatever they want. As soon as they cross line and it's reversed, there's something wrong with that. And that's called, you know, your heart. That's what sin is. But when you you enter in a relationship with God, you, you find that there is so much value in being completely little. In uh, considering others. In not just determining that you're going to get what you want first. You're not going to get your agenda before others. Really, little is determining that you're going to help people with their goals. Very different than the picture we see highlighted in in the world. The people that are usually upheld are are the people that have just, they've gone after it. They're they're super successful. Uh, We don't know really along the way how they got there. But we don't find a whole lot about people that have, Chosen to be completely little. And that's, that's the reality of, of living in this world. It, it's, count, it's counterculture. And that's what being a part of God's, God's family is. So humble is a deep sense of one's littleness. Um, he goes on, he says, to be completely gentle. 
And we're supposed to be gentle in our attitude and behavior. The opposite of this is being harsh. Um, It's easy to be harsh when, again, you have certain goals that you want accomplished. And the harshness comes from, you should have known, this is what I wanted. You ever find yourself getting agitated over the simple things, like somebody taking the last part of the cereal that you wanted? I've experienced this. And frankly, I'm not very gentle in my attitude and behavior. Because what I'm thinking is, I wanted that. You took it. Why did you do that? And when you start to explain why you're frustrated, you realize, you know what? I, I want what I want. I really just want my way. And you see, what we find is, is we're really not living the purpose God's given us when we elevate ourselves or when we're harsh opposed to being gentle. There's a lot of value in, in choosing gentleness. Um, and it's in our attitude and behavior. So not only in what we do, but, but even how we, we view people. Uh, basically, we're, we're supposed to be gracious as we, as we follow Christ. The, the next is, is to be patient. That's the other way that we treat each other. To be patient, which is, in the original language, it was written in, in Greek, patient, it means calm and uncomplaining when provoked. It, it's interesting that it's not just calm and uncomplaining, but it's actually when you're provoked. So you really have a choice to make. Recently, I was um, in line for one of those laptop computers and Thanksgiving sales. Have you ever done that? It's probably the worst experience you can get, but some, somehow that sale just drives you to go there. And you're in a line with people, and you basically see the opposite of this played out. Uh, it was an interesting story for myself. It's actually not interesting. It was almost a tragedy in my life. I left the line to go to the restroom, and they handed the tickets out to get the I know. I heard that sigh. That's what I thought. Handed the ticket out, and I come back, and there are no more tickets. And it was kind of like my head just sunk. You know, and it was just one of those times where, how, that's not fair. Aren't restrooms supposed to be built into this thing so we can leave? And they know, you check out, they don't give the tickets until you come back. But no, you, you know, I came back in line, and I didn't have a ticket, and I was just looking for someone to say, you can have mine. But everyone's like, oh, man, you should have held it, you know. And, and I'm experiencing just this, but, but, I, but I wanted that. And I was in line, and, and yeah, I got out, but really, I still am in line now. And Anyway, to, to, to cut a long story short, because we'll be here for another 45 minutes if I continue. I did get a ticket. There was an extra one. So all is well in the Barrett household. But, you know, as, as you, you're in those circumstances, you really see this. Um, just played out. Uh, whether you're at the stores, you're driving, you're at home, you're at work, th- this, this idea of having to make that choice. And common on complaining when provoked, you're, you're basically saying, I'm, I'm going to let that go. Well, I'm going to let it go, but I, I'm not going to let you know I've let it go. I'm not going to complain about it. And I'm going to be calm. So my body language, I'm not going to be just intense like, Go ahead, have it. They, they won't even know that there's a problem or that, I'm, that I've struggled with that. That's what this, 
this passage is saying, versus being reactive. Paul goes on and, and he talks about being, um, you know, forbearing with people. And that's to endure others when they are difficult. We all have difficult people in, in our lives. I used to be a school teacher and I had one student that was probably one of the most difficult people I've ever had to deal with. It's kind of one of those, and I'm just going to be honest, I'd go out in the morning to pick the students up, and whether I saw him or not, that really affected my day. If he was there, it was kind of like a, oh, hi. And if he wasn't there, it was like, yes. It's a different day now. But what what I was doing is, is I was basically missing the opportunity to love that student. Uh, as you endure people with difficult that, that are difficult, you you realize you really are taking God's call to love that person. Uh, if we if we miss that, we've really missed an opportunity that God's given us to love. Our tendency is to abandon when people are difficult. You know the statement, I can't deal with you right now. That's that's abandoning. Or I can't handle this right now. I can't handle you. Get out of my face. That, that's, that's from this, you know, we, we just want to get away from people that are difficult. But part of our purpose is lived out by enduring with these people, hanging in there with people that are squirrely. Because you know what? I've been that person. In fact, I'm pretty sure I probably was that student to my teacher. I see some of you shaking your head. But um, all of us have been that, that person. We're, we've all been at times difficult. And we're supposed to treat people like God treats us, really, that, that he accepts us where we're at. Um, so not only do we, we live our part of the saga and our purpose by, by how we treat people, but, but what we invest in. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've been called to invest in the church, which is the people of God. There, there's a lot in us that, that we kind of want to go things by ourselves, to kind of isolate, to just kind of do it our own way. It's a lot easier. We all get along when we don't see each other. But it's when you're with people and rubbing shoulders that things start to crop up. But part of our investment as followers of Christ is to, to come together as the church. Not only that, but to aggressively help in the church. Part of the way that you do that is you sweat for unity. In verse 3, Paul goes on. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That idea of make every effort denotes work. So you're supposed to work hard for unity. And when you work hard, you, you sweat. If you've ever done something that's made you sweat, it's because you, you've been working hard. Whether that's a sport or a chore or whatever. When you sweat for unity, you, you are... Your shoulders are in there. You are into this, and you are going to see that accomplished. That's what unity is. is you're, you're working hard to that. And that, that's what Paul's saying. Make every effort to, to work for unity. Uh, this effort is acting with intense effort and motivation. So when you come around people of the church and, and when you're around other Christians, you're actually motivated to invest in them. That's how our saga is lived out. We're motivated to, to get around people, to move forward, to move into the future with them. To tribe together. 
there's, a, there's an element of which you are excited to do that. Now, that doesn't happen every week. There's times when it's, it's difficult. But the scripture is saying is, again, it's not about your feelings, but God's honor. And God is honored when the church comes together and is unified. Because as you're unified, we accomplish what God wants us to do. And why do we want to do that? Because oneness around truth is God's desire. When you dig into the scripture, you find that people that are one, that are, that are unified, is very honoring to God. Because relationships are, are working. And as they're working, they're bringing honor to God. Uh, Ephesians 4, 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And verse 5 goes on and explains more of just this one thing that we've been called to. And instead of, of kind of just being over here in our, in our own world and kind of just not really deciding to, to band together with people, the scripture paints the opposite picture. We have a choice to make. Are we just kind of go, going to go with the flow? Are we really going to get after it? Are we going to really jump in? Now, that may not be at Church in the Valley. God calls people to different churches. But we all need to find the place that we are going to aggressively serve in, that we are going to sweat for unity, wherever that is. God's called us to do that. And we are to serve to build the church. Serving is, is really what ministry is. Uh, and that looks differently for different people. That could be in helping get um, you know, this set up, whether it's the equipment up here, whether it's the coffee, whether it's helping in a classroom, uh, whether it's providing training, whatever that looks like. It is you that serves in the church. It is me that serves in the church. And when we dig in uh, in the scripture, we find that we're not supposed to look for who that person is. We, we are that person. We are the one that needs to jump in. We are the one that needs to serve. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Uh, what you see here is a different, different roles that people play. And each one of these roles accomplishes a certain part of being unified. And if we're not doing our part, then we're not unified because we're supposed to be one. And we're only one as, as all the pieces fit together. You ever played that, that Jenga game where you pull out little pieces? And you pull out little blocks. You're supposed to stack it. And as you pull out blocks, it starts to wobble and then it falls. Well, that's kind of what the church is. It's, it's all these little pieces that, that form one. But see, as we, as we are kind of on the, the outskirts and we don't decide to, to dive in, we're, we're a piece that's pulled out. And we're missing to live out part of this saga, this great adventure that God has given us. Um, God gives you abilities to serve in the church. A lot of times it's easy to say, well, what, what can I do? What do I have to offer? Well, all of us can, can serve by doing even the, the really small things, setting up chairs or or fixing plants, or whatever. But instead of, of, of asking, you know, I don't really have anything to offer, you, 
we're encouraged to find out where we can plug in. So God gives you abilities, and he also gives gifted people to, to train you. Uh, that's what this, this verse is saying. Some are teachers. Um, and my other challenge is to you is as you sweat for unity, be trainable. Because that's, that's the other part of how you, you become one, is that you're, you're willing to learn from others. You're willing to, to figure out what it, you need to know in order to accomplish what God has called you to do. So I encourage you, if, if you're trying to figure out where your place is, know that God really has given you something great. And that is to participate in life with him. If you've not commit, committed your life to Christ as boss, you can let us know on your welcome card and we'll help you uh, do that and get further down the road, answer any questions that you may have. If, if you have committed your life to Christ and you're kinda, you feel like you're floating, I encourage you to look at, look at these areas, whether it's um, in how you treat people. One of the things that can slow our progress is by not really obeying what God has called us to do. And we really make a lot of progress as we decide, you know, I'm really going to treat people in a certain way because I bear the family name of belonging to God. So I encourage you to look at that in your relationships at work, your family, with your friends. Take this this new year to focus on that. Or maybe it's, you know, you, you don't really know where you can be one with somebody or with a group of people. That may be here, that may be somewhere else, but I encourage you to take the next step to do that. Because as as you become one with people and you band together, it is a powerful thing to see God move you from here into into the future with these people. So I encourage you to do that. If we can help you out in any way, let us know on your welcome card. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to live this great adventure with you the saga that you have you've laid out before us and you invite us to participate and there are a lot of things that hold us back from that uh, fear distractions uh, the unknown but god your your word is true and as you have urgently invited us to to come on board with you we we really do want to accept that and we want to move with you into the future and to really tell a story with our lives, and not only to the eternal audience, but for the people around us here and now. Help us to see the areas in our life that, that we can make little changes to related to how we treat people. And also help us to see how we...